We are in Advent today, and Advent, for those of you that are new, is a part of the Christian calendar where we celebrate the anticipation of the coming King that culminates on Christmas where we celebrate Jesus's uh, coming, the Messiah's coming. Sorry, I got to get my timer here. Uh, And... So we have, this, this year for our Advent series, we've been looking at Messianic Psalms, which are uh, Psalms in the book of Psalms that talk about the future king, the coming king, uh, that we can join in anticipation with the, our, the church or Israel thousands of years ago as they anticipated the coming Messiah. And so we're going to be reading from Psalm chapter 72 today, and we're going to be talking about expecting the king. What type of king were the people of Israel expecting? This psalm was written uh, by David, the king of Israel, to his son Solomon about what type of king he should be, but it was taken up to be a messianic psalm because if, as we're going to read it today, you realize it is impossible for any human king to live up to these expectations. And so it became a psalm of anticipation for the Messiah. And Isaiah later on takes up and almost quotes verbatim as he foresees the coming king. Uh, he quotes from this psalm in Psalm chapter 72. So we're, gonna, we're not going to read it all in one shot. We're, we're going to read section by section because, as you can see, it's, it's a longer psalm. And so what we can do is look at what king did they expect But then for us today, we can look at the reality of what king do we have in Jesus? What kind of king do we serve? So we're going to start off in Psalm chapter 72, verses 1 to 4. And this first part is about Jesus being a righteous king. Let's read. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people on the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor, of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. So the first attribute that we're going to talk about in anticipation of the king, the type of king that Jesus was, is being a righteous king. The first thing that we see from Jesus is righteousness first. This is the first thing. When we enter into the kingdom of God, Scripture says that we are clothed with the robes of Christ, which is his righteousness. We are clothed with his righteousness. The first thing that we are given is the first thing that we look at as our king. It was the first thing Israel anticipated for their king was a righteous king because over and over and over again, they longed for a righteous king and they found that every king that they were given and that they hoped would be righteous, turned out to have flaws. Who would have thought that us as humans have flaws? And so the anticipation of a king who was truly righteous, who reigned in justice from beginning to end, was the first attribute that was anticipated. See, righteousness and justice go hand in hand. And so when we think about Jesus as king and the type of king that we serve, we realize that in his kingdom is fully righteous, but also fully just. 
And I love that because God's kingdom is marked and God's king is marked by how the poor are treated in that kingdom. And so we as Christians, to reflect our king should be marked by how we treat the poor among us and the poor around us. See, in Jesus's kingdom, the poor are elevated constantly. Anybody that is downtrodden by people around them are elevated by God and his people. And Jesus is so, God is so purposeful about this, this, this last part of Psalm 72 verse four, and he says, he will crush the oppressor. I absolutely love this part of the Psalm. Uh, when I was in college, I joined this group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And yes, I know we got a lot of IV alum in, in, uh, in Zion. And uh, one of the, we had a, a person in, I forget what office, I think it was like student life office. And they kept on denying everything that we wanted to do with our club. And so Sophia, who was our staff worker at the time, she was like, how about we pray over God to work in their hearts? And so I, <laughs> I start praying, God, I pray that you just bring everything they do to destruction until they give us what we want, <laughs> that you would just curse what they're doing until they open up and allow us to do what you have called us to do in this campus. <laughs> and Sophia is like chuckling while I'm praying. And I was like, what's up, Sophia? She's like, well, that's one way to pray for them, Justin. <laughs> And she said, she, she told me, what you're praying is the imprecatory prayers of the Psalms. And I was like, oh, I've never heard that before, you know. I grew up Pentecostal. We didn't use big words like that. <laughs> and, and so I, I went and looked up the imprecatory prayers of the Psalm. And it is when you call down curses over your enemies so that they would come to destruction and so that God's righteousness and justice would reign in the land. And so this is an imprecatory psalm that I love to pray, that God, that you would crush the oppressor. And anytime I see, you know, my name Justin means justice. And so my mom, or sorry, my grandmother got me this plaque. She got all of us, you know, there was like two things you got in our tradition growing up. You got a Precious Moments Bible when you can read, and you got, you got your name plaque that had your name and the Christian meaning behind your name. And my mom stuck it up on the wall so I would see it all the time. So it said, Justin, and it said, my name meant justice. And so I would see that all the time. And whenever I see injustice happening, it gets me incredibly upset. So I lean towards the imprecatory prayer. So, you know, if, if you do injustice towards me, I'll try not to pray that against you. Sophia taught me to pray different ways uh, in those situations. But when there is oppression, it is okay for us to pray that God would crush the oppressor because that is something that Jesus does. And I get so excited to think about how Jesus crushes systems of oppression and crushes kingdoms that oppress his people and not only his people, but the poor, the marginalized. And we can have joy in knowing that the king who has come looks to all systems, all oppressors, and looks that ultimately they will enter. If they do not repent and ask for forgiveness, they will end in judgment under him. And so when you, I, I release you to go home and pray this imprecatory prayer <laughs> against oppression, that God would crush it and that he would crush it well. The next thing that we see here 
the king in anticipation and the king that we serve is that he would have an endless reign. Let's read verses five to seven. It says, may they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all, as long as the moon throughout all generations, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like flowers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. What I love about this is that the reign of Jesus is forever. He is never coming off the throne. And that is something that we can have joy in because as we, for Israel, when they anticipated the king, what they had seen is that their physical king lineage ultimately did come to an end, but they prayed for the day when the Messiah, the Savior, the king would come and of his kingdom, there would be no end. And so what we can be thankful for when Jesus came and when we are thankful for his incarnation, him going from in heaven to coming on earth, that that set off an understanding that this is the king of whose reign will never come to an end. It will last forever. And when you talk about joy in the kingdom, this is one of the things that we can have joy over. That when Satan crushed, I'm sorry, when Jesus crushed the head of Satan, and Jesus ascended into heaven and he told his disciples in Acts chapter 1-8, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. He was speaking in very political kingly terms because that word witnesses, what he was telling them to do was go proclaim the news of a new king on the throne. That's what that meant. And so when he was telling them, be my witnesses to the end of the earth, go out to all the corners of the earth and tell them there is a new king on the throne. And when we proclaim the good news of Jesus as king on the earth, we are proclaiming a kingdom that will never end. And why that is good news, why I can take joy in that is because every kingdom on earth will come and it will go. Every good or bad king on the earth will come and it will go. Every good or bad CEO, they will come and they will go. But there is one king that we know will reign forevermore, and that is Jesus Christ. He has an endless reign. And so no matter what is happening, no matter what goes on around us, we know that the kingdom of God here on earth is ever expanding, will come in its fullness in the future, but has a king that will never relent until it is all made new. Amen? In verses 8 to 11, we see that he will have a boundless reign. It says, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. There's another one of my favorite Psalms right there. <laughs> may the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings fall down before him. All the nations serve him. The authority of Jesus in anticipation of his king. You see, Israel, their kingdom, was in, if you know your geography, I always love those like late night shows and they go and they ask random people, you know, things about what's going on in the, in the world, like what are the three branches of government or who's the vice president right now or can you point to like Iran on a map and it's just like a lot of, no, I don't know, I don't know, I know, I love that. And so if you are, if you would be caught off guard, Israel in the Middle East, it's where the Mediterranean, you know, Italy, you go a little right to Italy on, on most maps. 
And there's Israel. It's this, it's this little plot of land, this little country. Uh, and this was the promised land for God's people. But in anticipation for the king, they knew that the king that was coming, the Messiah, would not only be king over this little plot of land, but his kingdom would expand from sea to sea all over the earth, that every king would bow down. That's why his title was King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that every single king, every lord, every nation, every land would come to bow down before him. It is why in Matthew it says that the gates of hell will not prevail against him because as a Christian kingdom, the king that we serve, we are on the offense constantly. We are not on the defense. We are always taking more ground for the kingdom. We are always expanding the rule and reign of Jesus Christ here on earth. I used to think like, God, what's taking you so long to have total kingship and dominion over all the earth? And then I started reading church history and you realize that yeah, it's been 2,000 years, but there's still so much work to be done that the church has been expanding for thousands of years and we see the footprint of that expansion and the church is going to continue to expand until all things are made new and we can live in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we are part of the kingdom where all peoples, all nations, all lands will bow down to the king. And today, we get to say that almost all languages, all peoples, in all cultures, there are people who bow down before God. And that is something that not only was foretold, that is something that we can praise and rejoice God over, that his kingdom is boundless, that there is no nation state where we have borders and we do not allow this person or this one to cross in. There is no sojourners. There is no immigrants in the kingdom of God that we are all given over to his sonship or being his daughter, receiving his inheritance and becoming a citizen of his kingdom right away when we believe in Jesus and we bow down to him as king over our heart. He will have authority over all the earth. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, as scripture says, that Jesus is Lord. He is a compassionate king. You can read with me verses 13, uh, 12 to 14. It says, For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity or compassion on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and, from, and precious is their blood in his sight. You know, if you read the stories of kings, especially back then, what you read is pomp. Uh, they would have a throne, and if you didn't have a certain status or a certain title, you could not go before him. You were underneath the concern of the king. You know, infamously, if you are familiar with scripture and the story of Esther, if you went before the Persian king during that time and the king did not let down his scepter, then you could be executed for coming before his presence for not being summoned. When we think of worldly stature and power, the hope and worldly understanding of, of having great power or, 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 uh, fame and stature in this world, it is, we are constantly told to, to leave everything lowly 
away from us. If, if you read all of the motivational speeches, right, it's, it's your circle needs to be people that are winning. And if it's not people that are winning, like get them away from you. Get rid of every negativity. And ne- negativity is people that have, let's say, that are poor, people that, uh, that don't have the same mindset of you, people that are sad, people that are depressed. These are the people that you shun, that you get away from. In the world of the world standards, anyone who is lowly, they have a disease and you want to get away from them because all you want to do is be happy at all times. And any little thing can bring that happiness away. But the king that we serve is an opposite kingdom. In fact, to be next to him, to be close to him, we have to be lowly of state. It is the humble it says in scripture that are close to him and the proud who are resisted by him. It is when we are in our sad states, it says that he is close to us, that he is never too lofty for us, that he is never too great. In fact, he is always there to help. See, it says he is here. He is our deliverer and he is our helper. The king that we serve is not someone who would look at us and say, well, you are too sinful, you are too lowly, you are too poor, you are too oppressed for me, for you to come into my presence. In fact, no. When we recognize the true state of our human nature and our heart and our being, that is when we recognize our total depravity and it is best for us to come before the king for he is there to pick us up. He is compassionate. He is loving. He is deliverer. He is helper. He is redeemer. This is the kind of king that we serve. And it says that we are precious in his sight. It says in verse 14, from oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. When the lowly from oppression are killed, when blood is spilt, precious is that blood in the sight of God. We should never lose sight of how God views the poor and the needy among us. Because spiritually, all of us are poor and needy. And there has to be a recognition of that. And I said this last week, and I'm gonna say it again. There is a disconnect in scripture when we talk about the physical, the, the, the reality of the physical things of the kingdom of God here. And sometimes we only make it mean spiritual things. And so, yes, we come before God spiritually as beggars before him, and he gives us abundant life. But also we have to realize in the physical kingdom that God has his eyes on the oppressed and the oppressor and promises justice for the oppressed and judgment for the oppressor. And we have to keep that in mind because as Christians, our our hope and our goal is not only to bring a spiritual reality of justice and freedom, but also to bring a physical reality of justice and freedom to all. And that is what we work towards as we work towards a kingdom of God here on earth, as Jesus prayed, on earth as it is in heaven. And so we constantly look 
We serve a compassionate king. This is the kind of kingdom that he reigns over and we are part, we are citizens of that kingdom. That means those values of our king become our values as his people, as his citizens. And then as we live under the rule of the king, we see towards the end of the Psalm here, verses 15 to 19, we live with endless blessing. In verse 15, it says, long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land and on tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. We have to realize two things here. Blessed is our king and blessed are all who are in him. One of the promises of Abraham and his seed as they started to anticipate the Messiah as far back as him was, what it was God told Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And here we see again, through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That all nations, it says, call him blessed. Jesus reigns and has all the blessing of the kingdom behind him. And everyone who is in him are blessed because of him. You know, I want to invite you to read this scripture with me. It says in verse 17, may people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. And I was, when I was meditating on this scripture, I was reminded of Ephesians where this comes to fruition that everybody who is in Christ is blessed. And we see the blessing of Jesus in his reign. He rose victorious from the grave. He lit everybody who he came in contact with in the gospels was saved, was healed, was given eternal life if they chose to accept it. But we see in Ephesians chapter one, Specifically, the people that live in Christ, in him, the blessing that they enter into. And I want to read this because I want us to remember the blessing of our king. And so there's three moments in Ephesians chapter one where, we, where Paul starts off in him. And everyone who calls themselves a citizen of the kingdom of God, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, everyone who not only anticipated Jesus, but now lives in the blessing of this king, now in him lives in this blessing. And so read this, or you can't read it with me unless you have your Bible or your phone open, but listen to it then. Ephesians chapter one, I'm gonna read from verse seven to 14. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon him in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the first in him, redemption, forgiveness, grace, wisdom, insight, all of this lavished on us. In verse 11, in him, what we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are who are the first to hope in Christ may be to the praise of his glory, right? In him, the blessing, we have obtained an inheritance in his kingdom. And the third one in verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were seated with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In him, we have been sealed with his spirit. We have heard the word of truth, the good news of our salvation, and we're made to believe in him. The great thing about our king is the process for citizenship to live under his rule is a process that is simple, but also hard. It is a simple process and all he asks is for us to bow down, to order our lives before him and to say, God, you reign as king over us. I believe in all you have done. And we, when we put our hope, when we put our faith in him as king, all the blessings that we just read, forgiveness of our sins, inheritance in his kingdom, and sealed with his Holy Spirit, all of those blessings become ours. And so as we anticipate the birth of Jesus, we can celebrate his kingship and what it meant on earth. And I want to say this for all that are here. If you've never lived under the rule of Jesus, this is a great moment where you can bow before him today, where you can put your heart in his arms, you can put your faith and put your trust and know that you serve a righteous king. You serve a king whose reign will never end, a king who has a kingdom that will go from sea to sea, that will go to all nations, all peoples, and all tongues. You serve a compassionate king that it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter what station you are in your life. He accepts you with open arms to be your helper, your redeemer, and your deliverer. You can serve a king that when you come under him, not only do you get his citizenship, but you get all the blessings that have been poured out on him that gets transmuted onto you. A king who allows his blessings not to be hoarded on his throne, but to give in lavishly to all who will bow before his throne. Can you stand with me today? In this Advent, we get to celebrate the King that we serve, the righteous, compassionate, blessed King whose kingdom will never end and will go throughout all the earth. And there's opportunity today to put your heart, your future, your faith, your hope, your trust, your life in that king's hand. 
and to say, God, I will serve you. And if you want, we will have our prayer team over on the sides during worship over here. And at any moment, if you want prayer, any one of us will pray over you and pray with you. But as we worship, I encourage you to meditate on the king that we serve, the king who has come, the king who has anticipated, the Messiah who is prophesied, and the Messiah that we serve today. Father, I pray that as we worship you, as we meditate on your word, as you remind us of the type of king that you are and all the blessings in you that we have received, that your joy and your spirit would fill us today and that you would remind us that the king who came as a baby in the manger was a king who is worth praising for all generations forever to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.